Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Welcome to Joyful Life. I'm so glad you're here, even if I'm not. I'm glad you could make it. Um, There was a discrepancy in my schedule, and Angie said, you have got to make an appearance. So you know what this is? This is an appearance. Actually, I've got a little study that I want to give you just to get you kind of excited about um, Joyful Life and some of the things that we'll be studying this year. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and I'm going to do this as if I was with you in person, because I'm already missing you and missing all the fun. So let's pray. Father, how we delight to call you Father, knowing your love in your care, in your desire toward us as a father to protect, to love, to instruct, to use us in your divine purposes, to see us succeed and prosper in the things you have for us. Father, as we gather together, we pray that you would knit our hearts together as one body, a one group of women who are for you and for each other. We pray that we would be known for our love and our grace and our faith. We pray that we would have our hearts and minds open to receive everything that your spirit wants to speak to us and everything that your spirit wants to do in our hearts and in our minds. And then that we might walk in the paths that you have prepared for us. So, Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive, even today, everything that your Spirit desires to speak to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty true that you are living in perplexing times. Have you ever, ever um, thought that your life would look like this? Did you ever imagine a time when you'd wear a mask or you'd go into a store and go, oh, do we have to wear masks? Or are we okay with no masks? It's such a strange time. Living in this time of pandemics or bankruptcy, we go up to Santa Barbara, Brian and I were there recently, and it was like every other store was closed down. Um, places that we were used to going either for coffee or for shopping, they're closed. And it was it was so strange. It looked almost like, you know, a ghost town or on its way to a ghost town. Um, as I mentioned, there's so many shutdowns. And then we live in a time of misinformation. You can pretty much go to the internet on your computer and whatever you want the internet to tell you, it will tell you. Have you noticed that? If you want to say, give me an article on why masks are bad for me, it will give you, I don't know, 150,000 articles on why masks are, masks are bad for you. But if you want an article on why masks are beneficial to you and the rest of the environment, you can type that in and it will give you just as many that are pro-masks. So what is it? The truth is, you won't know from internet. I was recently at um, a doctor's visit, 
And I was asking him something about a condition I'm going through. And he said, whatever you do, do not look this up on the internet. He said, it is the bastion of misinformation, especially when it comes to medical issues. Have you ever felt such a time of anxiety? I mean, it seems like everything you read in the media, media, the media, media is a fancy way of saying media, everything you read in the media is pitting you against someone else. And it just seems like you're to just go outside of the door of your house fully armed up and ready for controversy or ready for an argument. And everybody just seems to be uh, so full of anxiety. I feel like we're driving uh, around tinderboxes. You ever feel like you're just going to set somebody off at the market or someplace else? I, I have set some people off, not meaning to. I just switched places at the market, and this man's like, that's my place. I'm like, you can have it. It was crazy. We also are experiencing inflation. I'm really excited that my house was worth three times more than what I paid for it, but it also means that I can never move because I cannot afford another house in Orange County. Sometimes I watch Flip or Flop or some of those other uh, programs about houses, especially the ones in Orange County, and they're buying dumps for like a million dollars. You're like, oh my goodness. What about the moral failure? What about the moral failure that we read about pastors or in churches or in our government and nobody seems to care? Have you realized that? Nobody, nobody seems to care. There's no moral outrage anymore. What about corrupt legislation? Oh my goodness, I just read that California has just been committed to an 18 billion dollar uh, project against global warming. $18 billion. There's not even $18 billion in California. There aren't 18 billion people to each give a dollar. Where is that money going to come from? Even Bill Gates doesn't have $18 billion. And I'm thinking the moral corruption, the corrupt legislation, what about the high crime rates? Are you getting excited in this study? Is this just so blessing you? The high crime rates that are out there, isn't it just incredible? Identity theft? Uh, we uh, tied a check to my son-in-law's uh, church in New York. It was stolen and cashed, and it was cashed at another bank. And they, they waived the 10-day wait on it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy. We had to fill out a police report and everything. What about the suicides? There are more suicides among teenagers than ever before in our nation's history. What about depression? I was talking to uh, a man who does studies in depression, and he was saying to me, Cheryl, you would be shocked if you knew the number of people just in Orange County who are struggling with clinical and severe depression. And let me say this, the COVID pandemic and all these other issues that we've talked about are not making depression any easier. Alcoholism, alcoholism and drug use is on the rise. So how have things changed and gotten worse since Bible times, 
since the times that Paul wrote the epistles of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Let me tell you what's changed. Not much. Um, there's better travel. I mean, you can travel by car instead of carts, and we're not using donkeys very much anymore. But other than that, maybe we get our misinformation faster. But they got misinformation fast, but it was word of mouth or by heralds coming into towns. Um, we get our entertainment in our homes rather than arenas or hippodromes or amphitheaters. But we are watching much of the same type of displays and shows. I think about the gladiator competitions. You know, how is that different than WWF? And all these shows about, you know, uh, you know, superheroes. I mean, that's like gladiator sports. It's the same type. Prostitution and gross moral displays were everywhere. Even their statues in Rome at the time of Paul. There were roving gangs in the time of Paul and a proliferation of criminal activity. There was a huge gap between the working class and the elite. In fact, the majority of citizens in Roman times were slaves. There was government oppression and injustice, as well as um, expenditures by the government where they were indulging themselves while the people suffered. There were taxes and more taxes and more taxes. There was paganism. There was gross injustice. There were raging epidemics, cholera, leprosy, smallpox. There were suicides. There was alcoholism. And yes, there was drug abuse, only it was legal. So listen to how Paul described those times and the times we live in. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, he called them perilous times. And he says, for men will be lovers of themselves. They'll be narcissists, lovers of money, greedy, boasters, proud, blasphemers, or atheists, disobedient to parents, rebellious, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, made in the image of God, but denying its power, creeping into households, seducing gullible women, women loaded down with sins and led away by various lusts, people always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You would think he was talking about Facebook, wouldn't you? But he's talking about the times he lived in and saying, and in the last days, it's only going to increase. Yet in every perplexing time, the Lord has always raised up godly leaders, both men and women, to lead people in the way of Yahweh. I think of Miriam, who helped to lead the exiles out of Egypt into the promised land. I think of Deborah. I think of Huldah. I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think of Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene, and Phoebe, and Lydia, just to name a few of the women that were leaders 
And God used as leaders in their time to show people the way of Yahweh, the way of Jesus. In the perplexing times of the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul called on godly men and women to stand up and lead, to lead in the right direction, not to insurrection. There were many false messiahs, many zealots that were leading people in insurrection and in, you know, taking down anyone in the Roman government that they could. Not to lead to false messiahs, not to lead to moral takeovers or takedowns, not to lead to anger and frustration, not to lead to resignation. Well, we might as well give up. Things are just terrible. Let's just hide in the catacombs. Not to compromise. Well, let's just join them. Let's just pretend like we're like them and we'll be secret Christians. No. And not to accepting or adopting of that culture. Rather, Paul was asking believers to rise up, to lead to, and to lead in the way of Jesus. Lead to Jesus, not to anything else, not to anything less. What is it to lead to Jesus? It's to lead to the person of Jesus, to make people dependent on Jesus. But it's also to lead in the way of Jesus. Lead by example. Lead by way of agape, of of that incredible love that Jesus always displayed. Lead by the way of persuasion. You know, it's my ideal to make Jesus so evident, to present Jesus to people as he is, because Jesus is irresistible. Thank you. Jesus is so wonderful that I feel that if they just get a taste of Jesus, I think of the disciples. Andrew just had to say, Peter, come meet this guy. And Peter's like, I'm going to follow. Nathaniel, when he met Jesus before, he's like, can anything good come out of Galilee? And then he met Jesus and he declared, my Lord and my God lead people to Jesus. An encounter with Jesus will change everything. You know, I think we spend too much time talking about the false gods of this world. I think we spend too much time talking about the sin and everything that's wrong in the world and not enough time talking about how everything right is in Jesus, how Jesus is so good, so wonderful, so kind. Do it by the power of persuasion. Some of you know I do a podcast called Women Worth Knowing. And in Women Worth Knowing, I happen to do a four-part series on Amy Simple McPherson. And I did this because this was the church that my mom got saved at. She was part of the band. Um, Amy Simple McPherson signed uh, my dad's uh, first uh, year of college uh, completion certificate um, after he'd been at Life Bible College uh, for over a year Um, My dad had sat under the teaching of Amy Simple McPherson. She was responsible for both sets of my grandparents getting saved. 
God used her in a spectacular way. She was a very um, interesting, very flamboyant, very unusual type of woman, person, but God used her incredibly. And she was an evangelist. She was a soul winner with everything in her. And one day she was taking a megaphone because she would go from place to place, stand up in the back seat of her roadster as her husband would drive, and she'd begin to tell the gospel to people, tell them how wonderful Jesus was, and invite them in. She'd even stop where she saw some tobacco workers, uh, these African-Americans working in the field. And they were not used to white people showing any interest in their souls. And here's this woman standing up on the back seat of a roadster, telling them how much Jesus loved them, how their labor was not in vain, how Jesus would reward them, how Jesus knew their sorrows, and he cared for the very depth of their being. And as she spoke, they began coming forward. It was at one of these Um, evangelistic times that she was speaking to a crowd in a city and she just got tired. Her voice began to give out. And this young man stepped up from the crowd and he said, Sister Amy, do you want me to continue for you? And she said, oh, I would appreciate that. And he stood up on the backseat of her roadster, took the megaphone and he said, young man, pointing to a man who was walking by, do you realize you're on the road to perdition? Well, just as fast as he said that, Amy jumped up and grabbed that megaphone from him and said, that is not our message, nor was it the message of Jesus. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. I came to save the world. And Amy again began to give the message of how wonderful Jesus is, how he will be your best friend, your counselor, your shepherd, your guide. I believe that's the message that we need to do, to lead by way of persuasion, by telling people how wonderful our Savior is. I mean, honestly, would any of you want to live without Jesus? There is like no way I want to do a day without Jesus. You know how we used to sing a song, moment by moment. Um, I'm kept by his love, moment by moment. And the idea is, I don't even want a moment, not even a millisecond without Jesus. We need to lead by way of integrity. Being godly women, being women of our word, We need to lead by the way of, and get this, weakness made perfect in Jesus' strength. You see, he's not calling us to be strong in ourselves, but to be strong in him. There is something so attractive about that weakness that is displayed in humility that you can see Jesus working through. Because you You can look at it and go, I can do that. I can be weak. I can be nothing and allow God to be everything and then lead by the way of grace. God showed you so much grace. Lead others with grace. What is grace? It's acceptance. It's um, not being judgmental or critical. It's, It's forgiving 
and being kind. But finally, since you are at the Joyful Life Bible study, lead with joy. After all, I think of the one we are leading to, that we are leading everyone to. David called Yahweh my exceeding joy. My exceeding joy. Psalm 16 says, in the presence of the Lord, there is joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I think sometimes we are such a bad example of what it is to serve Jesus. Jesus is joy. He always did those things that gave the Father joy. I always do those things, John chapter 8, that please my Father or elate my Father or bring joy to my Father. You see, Jesus just didn't do like, I always obey and I keep the standard. No, he said, I'm always delighting my Father. I'm always making my Father smile. Isn't that what you want to do? Isn't that how you want to lead others? And say, come with me and let's put a smile on God's face. Let's just make God so happy today because we can. Let's lead people to joy because joy is something that God has for all of us. We do live in perplexing times. Times like Timothy and Titus and Nusiphorus and Philemon lived in. And the time that we live in, this perplexing time, begs for leaders, begs for women who will be willing to lead. Too many people want to sit on the sidelines and critique the game. They want to sit on the sidelines and critique the leaderships. Well, if I was quarterback right now, I wouldn't have done a Hail Mary. If I was the halfback, I wouldn't have done whatever halfback or that halfback did because I'm not real sure what halfbacks do. I know my dad played halfback in college. You know, we sit there and we critique the leadership. I don't know why he used that word and he does this and that church had masks and this church doesn't have masks and we're always critiquing the leadership. And that's because we're not leaders. When you begin to lead, you have compassion for other leaders. You know that the minute you lead, and this is the bad news about leadership, you get on Satan's radar. And that's why we need, as leaders, as women who are all called to be leaders, to support one another, to be for one another. But have you noticed that there are so many people who are staying home and just critiquing leadership from the comfort of their living room, watching church instead of being part of the church and being in the church and being a leader in the church or a leader in their community. But God is not, not, get this, not calling us to complain. Do you realize that complaining is not a spiritual gift? And the children of Israel were in trouble over and over and over again for complaining. God is not calling us to compare. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul would say, 
Those that compare themselves to themselves are not wise. It is not wise to compare, nor are we called to critique, to critique the leadership, to critique each other, to critique the church, but we are called to get in the game and start leading. But as a leader, which you are all called to be, every single person who came to Joyful Life, when you signed that card, you didn't realize you were actually signing up for leadership. You're called by God to lead, but good leaders must know who they are following. They must know personally, intimately, the one they are following. They must be able to say what he likes and what he dislikes, what his habits are, the way he works, the way he speaks, the intonations of his voice. You must know Jesus personally. Next, you must know the message of Jesus, what he says, what he offers, what he wants to give. You must know the hope of Jesus. What are Jesus' plans? We're told that we are the inheritance, that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, thinking about us believers who are his inheritance. What is the hope of Jesus? Remember how he said to Pilate, my kingdom is not now of this world. There is a coming day when Jesus will rule and reign on the earth. But when he's king, he will be an accessible king, a king that we can touch and have conversations with, do lunch with. I'm not sure if coffee's going to be in the millennium or not, but if so, I'm making an appointment. We must know what he has given us, what is ours for this mission of leadership. What has he equipped us with? You know, so many times we have those things that we already need, and we don't even realize it. I think about the widow woman that came to Elisha and said, help me. They're about to take my sons because I owe a debt and conscript them into slavery. And Elisha said to her, what is in your house? And she said, nothing but a little bit of oil. And then he told her, borrow every vessel you possibly can from neighbors. Find all the ones that you possibly have in your house. Go into your house and begin to take that little bit of oil and fill every vessel. And she found that what she already had in her house, once touched by God, was enough. Moses, when he said to the Lord, I don't know how I'm supposed to lead, God said, Moses, what's in your hand? He says, oh, this, it's a staff. God said, throw it down, and it became a snake. Then God said, pick it up, and it became a rod again. And with that rod, Moses went into Pharaoh's court and demanded the release of the Israelites. With that rod, he brought a plague of locusts and frogs and lice. With that rod, the Red Sea You see, you need to know what has God already given you? What do you have 
for this journey. You need to know what he is doing. You need to recognize his work. This is the Lord, and I want to be part of what the Lord is doing. You need to recognize where he is going. Where is he going? And get behind him because you're following Jesus and others will follow you. You need to know what the deterrents, the distractors, the detractors, the detainers, the drainers, and the disasters and delays that will be in the way. Did you get that? Wasn't that delightful? The deterrents, distractors, because you're going to find all these. As I was looking in Timothy, trying to find a, a name for all the things that Paul was warning Timothy about and then later Titus about, I found there to be deterrents, distractors, detractors, detainers, drainers, disasters, and delays. And we'll, we'll, we'll kind of identify those as we go through the book of First and Second Timothy, what they are. A good leader not only knows these things, but he is prepared for them. He is prepared. He is not taken back when these things happen because he knows they are part and parcel to leading. A good leader, therefore, will model how to deal with deterrents, distractors, detractors, detainers, drainers, disasters, and delays. He will exemplify good leadership to others. But a good leader will also pass down to others. He will invest in others all that has been invested in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said the God of all comfort comforted us so that we might be able to comfort others. In 2 Timothy 2.2, and isn't that easy? Just think 2.2.2. Paul said, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Years ago, I was at Target and I saw this fountain and it was three pots and the big pot was pouring into the second pot, which was pouring into the third pot. And as fountains go, the water was all recycled back to the, the first pot. And I thought, I want that fountain, but it was more money than I wanted to spend. But I loved that fountain. And I just think that's our mission. What you receive, you are to pour into others. If you just hold it all in, this living water, you know what will happen? It will become stagnant water. You are meant to pour it in to others. The world needs leaders who will lead to and in the way of Jesus. God is calling you out from the world of spectator to the calling of leader. God is calling you into his purposes and into his work. If you are not leading others to Jesus, you will be leading them somewhere else and to someone else because you're leading whether you realize it or not. Years ago, I remember my daughter, Kristen, she used to do everything I did at three, and I didn't really realize it. 
But one day she was dusting and she was pretending to dust and she's like, stupid table gets so dusty. And I realized that's how I was cleaning the house. <laughs> stupid refrigerator with all the prints on it. And I, I, I realized I need to change. How wonderful to have a refrigerator that keeps all of our, our foods cold. And here's a big one, preserved. But I realized that she was following my example. I also noticed one day that my daughter, Kelsey, was a little condescending to her little brother, Brayden. She kept calling him, hey, sweetie, sweetie. And I thought that was a little ridiculous considered they're only like 22 months apart. And then I realized I was like, sweetie, sweetie. If you're not leading them to Jesus, you're leading them in something else or to something else. People need Jesus. They don't need financial advice. They don't need your medical advice. They don't need to know what you read on the internet about sunflower seeds or pumpkin seeds or vitamins. They need Jesus. They need you to take them right to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will quicken their hearts what they need if you will only take them to Jesus. I see a lot of distracted and detoured Christians right now. I see a lot of Christians in other ways, and they don't even realize that they've left the way of Jesus for a political way, a moral way, a financial way, a romantic way, a comfortable way. They don't even realize that they've left the way of Jesus. I feel like COVID has just put this damper on everything so that the, the flame, the flame that we once had for Jesus is just flickering. And I believe that leaders need to rise up and take that little flame and fan it into a fire, a consuming fire again. We need to come back fully to the way of Jesus. I'm not saying that any of these things, it's not wrong to be moral. It's good to be moral. It's good to teach virtue and high values. It's good to vote for godly leadership. It's, it's good to um, support your family. And it's good to love your husband or be in love. It, it, it's all right to take a rest. But I'm talking about people who don't even want to leave their house anymore, that don't care about ministering to others, that just want to do whatever it takes to stay comfortable, whatever that means. And so they've left the way of Jesus, which is always going to be a way of sacrifice. It's always going to be a way of putting others first. When I was a little girl, we used to sing a song, Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. J is for Jesus, for he has first place. O is for others we meet face to face. Y is for you in whatever you do. Put yourself last and spell joy.
it's time to rise up. It's time for all of us to recommit ourselves to the way of Jesus. It's a Romans 12, one and two time. It's time to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, and to stop being conformed to this world, but once more to be transformed that we may approve the good and excellent way of the Lord. It's time to be the leaders he is calling us to be. Think of it. Think of it. God, the almighty God, Yahweh, creator of everything, creator of stars and universes, wants you. Yes, I know, I don't know where this might point. I'm on camera, but you and you and you and you. He wants you. He wants you to rise up and say, yes, Lord, use me. I will lead in the way of Jesus. I will walk in the way of Jesus. I will lead others to Jesus. God has purposes for you in these perplexing times. God wants to bring the fullness of the way of Jesus, which is the way of victory. Because it says in, in 2 Corinthians that God always leads us in victory by Christ Jesus. God wants to lead us in the parade of victory as we follow Jesus, as we lead others. And the way of Jesus is the way of good. It's the way of justice. It's the way of righteousness. It's the way of the kingdom of our God by the means of love, shalom, faith, and light. Not that we concentrate on those things, but we concentrate on Jesus, and that's what happens. When we put Jesus first, we get righteousness. When we put Jesus first, we get agape. When we put Jesus first, we get joy, we get shalom. This year, we will be studying what is called the pastoral epistles. I love this because they're personal letters written by the Apostle Paul to men who were living in perplexing times. They are letters on how to lead, how to lead others to Jesus, how to lead in the way of Jesus, even when there are narcissists, even when there's the proliferation of evil in the culture even when the faith of many has grown cold and there are imposters in the church, even when you are slandered and maligned. They are manuals with the instructions that each of us need to lead, to live, and to love by. Leading in the way of Jesus is not just an occupation or a ministry. It is a way of life. And it is a disposition that we will hold and we will become more and more like Jesus. In these epistles, we will be training in the way of Jesus. We will learn who we are in Jesus. We will learn what the Lord has given us for leadership, our gifts. We will learn where we are going, 
how to get there, how to deal with the deterrence, distractors, detractors, detainers, drainers, disasters, and delays that will be in the way. And if you memorize those, I'll give you a silver dollar. In order to help facilitate your training for leadership, we will be studying these pastoral epistles that Paul wrote to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. We will study the text. You have textbooks, either the challenge or you have um, the book um, that we wrote. And as you study that, the Holy Spirit will be ministering to you personally. There is something about writing the answers. And you find that sometimes your answer is so good, you're like, I wrote that? That is so good. And you realize that the Holy Spirit was writing and speaking through you and causing you to write it down. You will have that experience. That's not just the experience of me. That's experience of every leader. Remember what you're called to be? Thank you, all five of you. You are called to be leaders. This is the expectation for all of you. You know, I love it when the Pharisees came to Jesus. We said, they said to him, we know that you speak the truth, and we know that you're no respecter of persons. We know that you don't favor men over women. You don't favor the the rich over the poor or the poor over the rich. We know that you give generously to all. Do you know that? He wants to speak to you in your study as you study, as you open your Bible to 1 Timothy, as you answer the questions. I promise you, if you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you, guess what? He will be there and he will lead and guide you and minister through what you write and the questions you answer. Then, by discussion, I fully expect you to be encouraged as you realize that you are not alone. One of the things the devil likes to do is isolate us, tell us we're the only person going through whatever we're going through, that nobody else knows what we've been, that God is being unfair, picking on us, and nobody else has been through it. That's how he lies. But when you get in that discussion group, you will find that you are not alone. And not only that, what you've been through, what you've heard from the Lord, somebody in that group needs to hear. You will learn how to minister to others. You will learn how to talk about Jesus without apprehension, without fear, without stuttering. You will freely be able to talk about Jesus And our prayer is that you will form friendships and bonds and receive spiritual affirmation and inspiration. And as we listen to the proclamation of the text, as I teach the word, I am praying that it will bring clarity, affirmation, confirmation, inspiration, encouragement, and resolve to you to walk in the way of Jesus and to walk and take others to Jesus. The culture desperately needs those who will lead in the way of Jesus and to Jesus, who will stand out and who will lead in a different direction. They're all going that direction, and we're going this direction towards Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to learn the way of Jesus, 
to learn how to lead in the way of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would prick every heart to desire to lead in the way of Jesus, that you would be with every woman as she goes to do her study, that not one woman would be overwhelmed, but they'd be so blessed as they open your word that you would minister your truth, your grace, your goodness to every single woman who comes, that you would use the groups um, therapeutically, cathartically, to bring forth the deep truths, to heal the deep hurts, and to bless and equip every woman here. We pray that you would use the study to affirm and confirm everything that you have been saying to these, each of these, your daughters. And we ask this because we know it's absolutely possible, because we know it's what you desire to do, and we thank you that you will do it in Jesus' name and because of Jesus. Amen.